Hello, my name is David Elm. It is my honored privilege to introduce to you our Bible teacher, Pastor David F. Gray. I know that this series of studies will prove to be a blessing to your spiritual enrichment as well as your apostolic foundation. Brother Gray was born on May 6, 1917 in Yokohama, Japan, the son of missionary parents. Ordained into the ministry in 1940, he has preached the gospel for over 45 years. He founded the great church he now pastors in San Diego, California in 1945. He was the first general youth president of the United Pentecostal Church International. Brother Gray has served on the Western District Board for many years as well as numerous national committees. He is a published author and has blessed thousands by his anointed ministry in camp meetings across America. David Gray has helped start numerous other churches in Southern California. A strong beacon of apostolic truth sits on a hill in San Diego at the end of a street named Pentecost Way. That church is called Revival Tabernacle. A gorgeous view can be enjoyed from the hill upon which this lighthouse stands. To the north, the lights of a large California city can be seen. Looking south, the lights of another nation are evident. Glancing east brings to sight the low-lying hills of America. In the west, the beautiful blue Pacific stretches into the horizon. This is symbolic to me of the depth and length of the ministry of this man of God, touching the world with his life. Brother Gray has sent out scores of ministers as evangelists, pastors, and missionaries. My three ministering brothers, Bernard, Royce, and Wendell, as well as myself, were privileged to be among that number who were challenged, trained, and sent out under the ministry of David F. Gray and his dear wife, Sister Emily Gray. These two great people of God are among those deserving of double honor. With great enthusiasm, I present this study of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ as taught to you by my esteemed pastor, Reverend David F. Gray. of Jesus Christ by the will of God. One rendering says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, commissioned by the will of God. If God has ever put his hand on your life, there is a place in God for you to fill. You have not only been saved, but you have been commissioned. There's a place in God's program that he has planned and destined for you to fulfill. Paul said, I've been commissioned by the will of God. The word will has several meanings in the Bible. And one meaning that we wish to bring to you, and it is authenticated by the original, is in many places to be considered 
as a will or a document that a man makes preparatory to death that goes into effect only when the testator dies. So with that in mind, let's go on. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, commissioned by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The word and is a, is a word that means many times even. And so with that in mind, let's read it that way. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, even from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm oneness. I don't know what you are, but I'm oneness. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if that word and means two persons, like our Trinitarian friends try to say that it does, they'd be in trouble in verse 3. They'd be in serious trouble. They say, what right have you to put, to make the word and mean even? Because God makes it that. Notice verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father. Do we have two persons there? Is God one person and the Father another one? Because the word and is there. The word and means even. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you put it in one place, you ought to put it in the other, don't you think? Hallelujah. Let's be consistent. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're on solid ground, brother. We know where we stand. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. Some people are afraid of that word predestinated. I'm not afraid of it. I'm glad I've been predestinated. Now, when you understand that, you understand that that doesn't take away your free will. It doesn't do that at all. It simply means that God has planned for those that are his children some wonderful things. That's simply what it means. God has planned some great things, and we're going to get into that a little later. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his, and that word again is will. And the word good pleasure means simply good purpose of his will, the purpose that he has planned for us. It's in his will. We're going to talk about his will. Let's go on. To the praise of the glory of his grace, through which he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, in which he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now that word will again. Having made known unto us the secret purposes of his will that are found in his will. Now, if you don't know that the Lord Jesus Christ made out a will, there's some secret places and purposes in there that we need to find out. And this verse says that we need to know what those purposes of his will are relative to us. That's why we have this study. We're going to know what the mystery of his will is and the secret purposes that he's planned for you and for me. I want you to know they're better than anything you've ever dreamed about. They're greater than anything you could ever grasp, your mind can ever conceive of. God knows that you have, you have 
potentials in him that are greater than you've ever thought you did. And his plans for you are greater than you've ever dreamed they could be. You don't have to grovel in the dust. You've got something better that he's planned for you. This is according to his will. He's made out of will. Hallelujah. And you and I are in it. We're going to find out where we come in and what's, what is bequeathed to us in his will. Having made known unto us the secret purposes of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. See, when someone dies and makes out a will, we come in under that, we get the inheritance, don't we? All right, so we have the will, now we have received an inheritance. Being predestinated, that's the, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him which worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He's doing everything according to what he put in his will. One rendering puts it this way, for it is he who is at work everywhere, carrying out the designs, the fixed purposes of his will. I'm glad he's at work everywhere. He's at work in Salem, he's at work in San Diego, he's at work where, where you live, where you are, in your life, in your home, to carry out, not only to tell you what they are, but to carry them out. I'm glad he's gonna help you carry them out. The purposes of his will everywhere in your home, in your life, in your church. We don't have to, we don't have to go around hanging our heads. Hallelujah. There's some purposes of his will that he's going to help us carry out, put into practice, to obtain. As though somebody said uh, that you were come heir into a million dollars or ten million or some astronomical amount. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. And you sit there and say, oh... I just can't, I just can't believe it. Well, somebody comes along and says, I'll help you carry it, get that. I'll help you get it. It's there for you. All you have to do is and do this, and they give you the procedure and the papers, and we'll help you fill them out. You can get into your inheritance. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to help you carry out. I'm, I'm going to help you. I made the will. It's for you, but I'm going to help you get it now. Hallelujah. I'm going to help you get it. I'm going to help you receive what is for you to receive. I believe that's one reason God gave you the Holy Ghost. That puts you into a place where the will is for you in this new covenant, new testament. Let's move on, move ahead. We'll come back to some of these things later on because they're very, very wonderful. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. There's that word again, inheritance. You see, we, start, we started, when you got the Holy Ghost, you started getting what the Lord bequeathed to you in his will. You started getting your inheritance. You haven't got it all yet, but you got some of it. And the rest of it is as sure as the Holy Ghost is sure. Because that is the down payment on what he died to give you. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. 
and that's just the down payment and the rest is coming as you go along and you'll get some of it in heaven but some of it you're going to get right now that you don't still still maybe don't have i want to help you get that hallelujah praise the lord well let's just raise our hands and praise him right now hallelujah thank you jesus oh hallelujah we glorify you lord and magnify your name thank you jesus for the inheritance we receive in god hallelujah praise the name of the lord we love you jesus praise your wonderful name glory to god hallelujah 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 thank you lord now when jesus died he left his last will and testament behind him he had an administrator he had appointed before he died he laid down conditions by which the provisions of his will could be met and the inheritance be received he stipulated where the provisions of the will were to be declared and who would do it he made certain that the administrator would not and could not make a mistake he carefully laid out the provisions in his will to make chosen men his heirs. These provisions were of no force nor effect until after he died. Mm -hmm. The death of Jesus Christ on Calvary made the will effective and brought the provisions into force and effect. After Jesus' death, the administrator took the will which was sealed by the blood of Jesus and probated it. In the name of the testator, he delivered to the beneficiaries the provisions contained in the will. The beneficiaries are all members of the testator's family. All right. Praise God. The beneficiaries entered into their inheritance as they qualified according to the provisions of the will. Now you say, Brother Gray, I don't remember reading anything like that in the Bible. It's all here. That's all in here. That's right. Everything I said is in the Bible. I just put it in other words, that's all. It's there. You're going to find it out. That you are included in the provisions of this will. And what they are. And how to get the rest of your inheritance. Praise the Lord. Now, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, we're going to stay in Hebrews a while. Some people avoid Hebrews because they don't understand it. There's a lot in Hebrews that's, very, that's not surface, it's deep. But I want you to know it's wonderful. It's one of the most wonderful books in the Bible, the book of Hebrews. So let's turn to Hebrews and look at chapter 9, verses 15 16 and 17. Brother King, would you read that, please? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. All right. And for this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator, or as uh, <clears throat> Goodspeed says and some of the other renderings, the negotiator of the New Testament. That means that he had an old one, doesn't it? Yes, sir. When you say a New Testament or a new will, that meant that somewhere back yonder there was an old one. Amen. Now which one, if a man makes out a will, 
10 years ago, and then he makes out another one today, what happens to the old one? It's disannulled. That's right. And the new one comes into effect. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. All right. Now we'll see that and see what happens as we look at it in that light. That Jesus Christ is the negotiator of a new testament or new will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. That's right. And uh, read on. That by means of death. That by means of death. Read on. For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament. For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first will. See, the first will is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. There were transgressions back there that the first will could not take care of. And there was no provisions made for that. So now a new will, and thank God a better one, is made that does handle the situation and we're going to find out how it handles it and what it does you just hang on today we're going to find out this is not tomorrow but today we're going to find that out because this is something that thrilled my heart when i got hold of it hallelujah read on they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance they that are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance now going going back to that word mediator he is the mediator I mentioned to you that Goodspeed said he's the negotiator. Philip's rendering calls him the administrator. However, there's a greater word yet which I would like to use, and that is the executor. And we're going to look into that a little later. Read on, brother, into verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Where a testament or a will is, for that will to go into effect the testator or the one that makes the will out must die yes the will is no good until the testator dies just a piece of paper now let me read this to you in the amplified rendering which may help us a little bit for where there is a last will and testament involved the death of the one who made it must be established for a will and testament is valid and takes effect only at death since it has no force or legal power as long as the one who made it is alive so in order for this will he had a will for us but in order for it to be effective and in order to put it into force, Jesus had to give his life. And as soon as he did, and not before, this will and all the provisions in it immediately came into effect. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The devil would try to rob you of some of these things. But they are effective and they are valid and they are powerful and every word stands and cannot be changed hallelujah hallelujah oh jesus they belong to us amen and nothing can change it nothing right. the devil and every work he does cannot change one word of the will of the lord jesus christ he died to put it into effect mm -hmm. praise the lord verse 18 
17? I read, uh, yes, 17, excuse me. For a testament is of force yes. after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. All right, now we're going to find out who the testator is. There is someone who wrote that will, who put it into effect by his death, and let's examine and see who that one is over in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. All right, read it. And being made perfect. And being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He became the author of eternal salvation. If your salvation depended upon your own self, it wouldn't amount to much. If it depended on me, it wouldn't amount to much but it depends upon him. He is the author of it. He is the, he is the one who put it into effect. It was he that made the will and then he died to make it effective in your life and in my life. Hallelujah. Chapter 12 and verse two of Hebrews, please. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author of it, and he's the finisher of it. In other words, he didn't just start it and say, now it's up to you to go on the best you can. He said, I'm going to finish it. I started it, and I'm going to finish it. I started your faith, and I put it inside of you. When you came to me, I put it there. I, I planned this whole thing, oh, but I haven't hallelujah. left you to do it on your own. I'm the finisher, too. I'm the author and the finisher. Yes, Hallelujah. Sir. Read on. Who for the joy that was set before him yes. endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. A right hand of power on high. Let's realize now how wonderful this is. This is brought to man by means of death, that is Jesus' death, which brings to us the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first will and testament. Now let's look and see what a will is, shall we? Uh, a definition of will is the legal statement or document of a person's wishes concerning the disposal of his property after his death. Um, a will is usually defined as a legal declaration of a person's mind, whether it's put on paper by means of a, of a formal will, which is generally the way it's done, or we would call that a formal will, or a holographic will, which is done by a person's own handwriting, or a non-cupative will, which is done orally in the presence of witnesses. Either way, all ways, this is a a statement of that individual's mind relative to his possessions. His possessions. Mm -hmm. Amen. So it's usually a written instrument, legally executed. And so if you have made out a will, and I think it's a good idea to do that, frankly, yes, sir. not to just leave your state, big or little, so that the government will get it all when you go, if the Lord should tarry, because generally they get a big, big piece of it you don't make out a will, those that you wish would have it won't get it. 
But a will is a man's purposes of what shall be done with his estate. The things that Jesus put in his will are the things that belong to him. And what does belong to him? Stop and think about what belongs to the Lord. That is what he put in his will. He wanted to dispose of those things and put them in the hands of those that he loved. Amen. He has some possessions. He has some goods. He has riches. Hallelujah. Amen. And it was his purpose to bestow those riches and to give them. And so we're going to find out about it because a will is what a man purposes shall be done with his estate. And the testament is the document he draws up embodying his will. Now the Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Or the old will and the new will, putting it in, in rough words. The Old Testament and the New Testament. We do not think of them as God's first will and his second will or last will, but that's actually what they are. Uh, as Israel reached Mount Sinai, God called Moses, the man that he'd ordained for this great task. He called him up into the mountain. And here God pulled back the curtain and revealed to Moses his first will, his will for Israel. A mighty cloud of glory encircled that mountain. It became so holy that nothing could touch it for fear they die. And on Mount Sinai, God enfolded his plan to Moses and gave Moses the law, which was the first will and testament. But we don't, that is not the one that we're talking about in this study. That was, that was the first will. And uh, the first testament or the first will had its limitations. It did not fulfill the purpose that God had fully in mind. There were some things that it lacked. And there were reasons why that will did not bring into effect what God had purposed to fulfill in, in mankind. First of all, it did not have the power to take away man's sins. Right. Because it used a substitute, blood, and it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Amen. And that was a substitute. But let's look at the scriptures. Hebrews 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It's not possible. All right. Hebrews 7 verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. The law did not have power. That is the first will and testament. Did not have power to make anything perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. But the bringing in of something better. And we're going to get on that something better, that better will and testament, which is called the better hope. That had power that the first will and testament did not have. The bringing in of a better hope did. Read on. By the which we draw nigh unto God. We can get to God through his will, through his last will and testament. John 1, verse 17, please. 
For the law was given by Moses, yes, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All right, so this is something better. Moses brought the law, but when Jesus made out his last will and testament, it far surpassed anything that the law could do. Now we're going to find out what the law was incapable of doing and why you and I had, not, had better not try to go back under the law. I don't think we have so much trouble going back under the law, but I wish some Seventh-day Adventists were here. Uh-huh. All right. And some other folks that try to bring you back under the law and make that the standards by which we ought to go by instead of the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. Now let's go into Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, and if there's any verse in the Bible that helps us, this verse does. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. This is a tremendous verse. Let's look at it. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Just finish reading it. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. in the Word of God. sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh yes now let me give this to you in a literal rendering that might help you understand what this verse is trying to tell us what the law could never do thwarted as it was by our own fallen sinful nature which robbed it of all potency God has done what the law could not do because of our sinful nature could not accomplish in us God has done now how has he done this by sending his own son in a form like that of our sinful nature and as a sacrifice for sin God has signed the death warrant against sin within that very nature. Hallelujah. I hope you've got what I told you. Let me read it to you again. I want you to get the literal meaning of this verse. What the law could never do, thwarted as it was by our own fallen sinful nature which robbed it of all potency. God has done by sending his own son in a form like that of our sinful nature and as a sacrifice for sin God 
has signed the death warrant against sin within that very nature. Only under the new covenant could that be true, or the last will and testament of Jesus could that be done. The former had no power to do that. It couldn't change a man. It had no power to change you. You could keep every bit of it, struggle all your lifetime, trying to keep every jot and tittle of it, and still your nature would be just as evil and just as corrupt and fallen as it ever was. And your sin could not be canceled. It could be rolled ahead a little bit every year, but the sin would still be there because there's no remission of sins under the law. It could not do it. And those people back there that are trying to keep the law and go according to all the dictates of the law would find themselves with that burden of condemnation on them just as heavily. And there was no relief from it, none whatsoever. Oh, I'm so glad I live on this side of Calvary, mm -hmm. under the last will and testament, hallelujah, where the death warrant has been pronounced against sin in my life. Praise God, and I'm oh, set free by the hallelujah. power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. No condemnation, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is a beautiful and a wonderful privilege that you and I have in God. And I think we ought, to, we ought to just shout it from the housetops that we've been set free. You know, there's a little, little bumper sticker that folks put on the back of them that are under their cars, and it's like a lot of other little statements that are cliches and clever little sayings. There's an element of truth in it, but it isn't altogether true. And I'm glad that this part of it's true, all right, but it isn't the full story. Christians are just forgiven, are not perfect, they're just forgiven. I'm glad I'm forgiven. I shout over that. I don't want anyone ever to take that away from me. I'm forgiven, hallelujah. But I'm not just forgiven. And that's all I've got. Right. Hallelujah. So that part of it is not true. I'm more than forgiven. Yes. I've been given the power of the Holy oh, Ghost in my hallelujah. life. Hallelujah. 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 I've been given something praise to give God. me power over sin. Yes, sir. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. You see, that comes in under the new covenant. The old one couldn't do that. We right. had no power to do it. Amen. We come in under something so very wonderful and great that it's hard for our minds to grasp it. We ought to pray, God, open the eyes of our understanding. Yes. Help our minds to take hold of this. It's so wonderful and great that it's hard to take hold of it and make it real in our lives. But it is real. Thank God it's real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the first testament must be superseded by a new will. If you go back under the old one, you just don't have any hope. If you try to go according to that old one, it's lost its effect and power. It doesn't have any to grant you any, anything. It must be superseded by a new will or testament. Then the first is no longer of any force or effect. Praise God. Let's look at, um, what's the next scripture you have there? Hebrews, Hebrews 8, 8, 6 to 13. Six right. 13. Hebrews 8, 6 to 13. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. All right. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Now, once again, the word mediator, according to Weymouth and other renderings, is negotiator of a better covenant or a better will, read on, which was established upon 
better promises. Better promises. How much better? For if that first covenant had been faultless... If the first will and testament of the Lord, of the Lord had been faultless... Then should no place have been sought for the second. Then should no place... There shouldn't be the second. The first one would have done the job. It had been all, all right. Read on. For finding fault with them, he saith... Yes. Behold... The days come, saith the Lord, yes. when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. First of all, offered to Israel. Read on. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. All right. Now, the word, be, the last part says, because they continued not in my covenant, literally means because they did not abide by the terms of that covenant. Mm -hmm. See, there were certain terms that were put in there, just as there are in this covenant, in this will and testament. Certain terms are placed in there. If you go by those terms, you'll get what God has promised. And so it was back there. They did not abide by the terms of that covenant. Read on. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Yes. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now this is something they could not possess under the old law. Under the first will and testament, they did not possess this. This came only after uh, the first one was superseded by a new will. And by the way, I'm going to stop right here a moment. I want you to notice something. If the same, if two people make out a will, one made out ten years ago. Here's Brother King. Brother King, suppose you made out a will ten years ago. And then I made one out last week. Would my will render yours of none effect? Your will would render mine of none effect. Would it? If you made one out ten years ten ago. Ten years ago. Right. And I made one out last week. Would mine render yours of none effect? No. No, sir. It wouldn't. No. So the same God had to make out both wills. Yeah. Hallelujah. The God of Sinai is the God that made out the Hallelujah. new will and testament. Hallelujah. And it was his blood that made it of effect yeah. when he died on Calvary. It couldn't be another person. It couldn't be another God. It had to be the same one. Yes, sir. Ha, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you, folks, we're, we're on the winning side. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's shout the victory oh, right now, shall we? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory oh, to God, Almighty God of Thank heaven. you, Jesus. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor... And every man his brother saying, Know ye the Lord? Yes, you don't have to go over to, your, to the other saint and say, You ought to know the Lord. Well, they'll tell you, Brother, I do. I have the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That's coming under the new covenant. Yeah. Read on. 
For all shall know me Amen. from the least to the greatest. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You don't have to make sacrifices anymore. You can know the Lord for yourself. Right. Veil has been rent in twain. Oh, praise go God. Right into the hallelujah. 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 That came in under the new one. Praise the Lord. They couldn't have that under the old. Read on. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. Wonderful. Hallelujah. God says, I don't remember them anymore. We can remember them, but God can't. And that's a wonderful thing about it. Now verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant. In that he saith, I'm making a new will. I'm making a new testament. Read on. He hath made the first old. He hath made the first old. The Amplified says obsolete. Hallelujah. Obsolete. It no longer has force and effect over us. Hallelujah. Read on. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Vanish away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is something that ought to thrill our hearts. Hebrews 10, verses 9 and 10, please. Then saith he, Then saith he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. He taketh away the first. That he may establish the second. That he may establish the second. In other words, you can't have both. You're either under one or the other. Hallelujah. And he took away the first. It no longer has its effect and its judgment on you. But you've come in under a brand new will. He taketh away the oh, first, hallelujah. that he may establish the second. And brother, when he establishes it, it is set. Hallelujah. We're going to see how set it is, and how fixed it is, and how sure it is, and how you can depend on it. In the Amplified, let me, uh, let me give you the Amplified of, of this uh, 10th chapter of Hebrews, verses 9 and 10. He then went on to say, Lo, here I am come to do your will. Thus he does away with and annuls the first former order as a means of expiating sin so that he might inaugurate and establish the second order or the second will. Now verse 10. And in accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy through the offering made once for all by the body of Jesus Christ. So his death set the second one and established it in such a way that you and I are, have been made holy in him. That's part of the provisions oh, of that wonderful new will and testament. Praise the Lord. Now 2 Corinthians 3, 6 to 13. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 to 13. Now may I just say this. This passage here... I have discussed this with my Seventh-day Adventist friends. I had a, a barber who was a Seventh-day Adventist and he was a very zealous man. And uh, he and I got into some very good discussions. And uh, then I went into this with him. I said, would you sit down with me and let me go into a scripture with you? And I took him over here. And brother, he tried to wiggle around, but he couldn't get out of it. This one nails him down. Let's look at it, shall we? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. 
who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now, I might just say this, that both the Phillips, the Moffat rendering and other renderings call that administrators. He has made us administrators. If you know anything, let me stop here a moment. I don't know how many of you are acquainted with the administration of a will. But I remember when a little lady in our church a number of years ago, a little widow woman, uh, asked if I would be the administrator of her will. We helped her make out the will, and I asked her what her desires were. We put those down. We made sure that they were all incorporated in the will. We uh, had it, uh, uh, had it uh, notarized and had her sign it in the presence of witnesses and all that sort of thing. And uh, so her will was made out with myself as the administrator. One Sunday night, we were in service, and this little woman who was a little uh, uh, Polish woman, about four feet, a few inches tall, and just as roly-poly as she could be, and she had quick little steps, and she was walking to church, and a car just slammed right into her, ignored a stop sign, and hit her in the crosswalk. And she was instantly killed. We went on with the service, did not know what had happened, but uh, I had noticed uh, as I came to the church that there was a crowd there, and someone else came up and said, there's a crowd, there's been an accident on the corner, just two blocks, or a little over a block from our church. And uh, we had no idea it was Sister Cassa, but it was. And she had been struck by a car. The woman had just gone through the signal light and, and hit her. So it was my sad lot then to be the administrator of her estate. And uh, in doing so, I found out that what an administrator was. And that helped me with this study because I began to realize that God has placed us here to be administrators of his will. Now this is not the part that we'll be dealing with mostly today. We'll get into that another time. But I wanted you to see that this verse says, who have also hath made us able administrators of the New Testament. Yes. Amen. That's the one that has been put into our hands. Yes. We are the administrators of that. Uh, there's other folks that can get in under the provisions of it. And it's our job to try to let the world know that they can get in on this. As a matter of fact, the Lord has a good, has some good news for every person in the world that they can come in the, under the provisions of the will if they will. And he has a right, being the author of it, to put in what he wants to, doesn't he? Amen. Doesn't a man have a right to put in there what he wants? Yes, sir. Little Sister Cassis, she, she put in some for her children. I never will forget this. She put in some, not for her children, she had no children, for her nephew and niece that lived in a little community near Chicago. She just didn't want them. I said, well, maybe they'll come in and, uh, you know, want, to, want, want something in it. I, I, she said, well, give them one dollar. I put them in for a dollar. I never will forget when, when I, had to, I had to execute the will, I sent them a check for one dollar. That check was never cashed. I never got it back. They were insulted. You know, it's just up to you, really, those, those, evidently, they had mistreated her some way. They didn't love her. They let her know that they, you know, that they didn't love her in some way. You know, the Lord knows whether you love him or not. 
whether you genuinely love him. You might put on a front, but the Lord knows whether you really do or not. Whether you really come in under the benefits of this will or not. You might fool some people, but the Lord surely knows it. And someday, friends, it'll come out just where you stand with God. That's right. It'll come out. Praise the Lord. I never will forget that. That was something that was, that was very, very eye, a great eye-opener to me. But the Lord is the one that makes out his will, and he's got it made out. And you can get in it. Hallelujah. All right, we'll get to that later. There's some great things in here, but let's go on to the next verse. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, Yes. not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth light. Now this is a, contra uh, this is a contrast between the first will and the second will. When it says letter, it doesn't mean the New Testament writing no. at all. It's not speaking of that. It's speaking of the old will, which is the Old Testament. That didn't have the Spirit in it. That just had the words in it of the Old Testament, the commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, and do this, and don't do that, and so forth and so on, and all the ordinances and the rituals and so forth that they went through. It was all written down, written and engraven in stones. We'll see a little later. That means it also included the Ten Commandments. Don't get excited here. Some folks think that, that that's going to shake people up. But wait a minute, I'm going to give you something to let you understand why that even the Ten Commandments are part of that old will and we've got something better here today just hold a minute don't don't prejudge this till I get to it praise the Lord but notice this that this is called the letter that's the first will and testament is called the letter but we are able ministers not of the letter but of the spirit that's the new covenant meaning we come in under the power of the Holy Ghost to fulfill the will of God in your life Read on. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stone... Wait a minute. The ministration of what? Death. And where was it written and engraven? Written and engraven in stone. In stones. Who wrote and engraved it in stones? Written with the finger of God in stone. And it is called the ministration of death. Why is it called the ministration of death? When Moses went up in the mountain, God handed him some tables of stone written with the finger of God. Yes, and it is called here the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones. Read on. Was glorious. It was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. When he came down from the mountain, what happened? His face was shining like the sun. They couldn't look at him. They were blinded. Mm -hmm. He had to put a veil over his face yes, when he brought down the tablets of stone from the Mount of God. So it's speaking of the Ten Commandment Law. Don't get shook up now. That's what it's talking about. Yes, sir. And it was glorious. But we've got something better. We'll never forget it. Read on. Which glory was to be done away. Now the question is, why is it called the ministration of death? 
Because that law that was written and graven in stones, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, that law had no power in it to change a person from the heart out. No, sir. It came from the outside and said, you don't do this and you don't do that and you do this. And he might go ahead and do it and not do it like it said, but his heart wasn't changed. Oh, that's a truth. It had no power to change oh, a man. Oh, God. He could still hate just so long as he didn't take something and kill him. Mm-hmm. He could still lust just so long as he didn't commit adultery with a woman. The heart wasn't changed. And so the condemnation came upon it, and it said it, it, the penalty was death. It was a messenger of death. We'll see that in the, in the book of Romans where Paul said uh, that by it, I, it slew me. The Old Testament law slew me. It killed me. It did not have power to give me life. It killed me. We'll get to that a little later. But what did it do? It established the righteousness of God. That's what it did. And it established the sinfulness of mankind until man stands before God without excuse. And it was also a schoolmaster, not as an end in itself, but to bring us to who? Christ. Why did it bring us to Christ? Because only he could do something in us that needed to be done. And that brought us in under the new covenant. So the old covenant then, by its the weakness of sinful flesh was powerless to change men. So man had to come to a place where he says, I can't do it by myself in keeping the law. No way. I must come to Christ. He's the only answer to my needs. Yes, sir. And that brings you under the new covenant. Praise the Lord. So all the law could could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, through our flesh. That gets us back to Romans 8, 3 again. That's a red-letter verse. Now let's go on. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Yes. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory... Now it's called... It was called the ministration of death back back in verse uh, 7. Now it's called the ministration of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But the ministration or the administration of the First Testament brought condemnation. The administration of the Last Will and Testament brings no condemnation and relieves us from condemnation, lifts our condemnation. Hallelujah. So here we have something that's wonderful. It's called the ministration of condemnation. Read on. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Exceed in glory. Hallelujah. It does more for us. Read on. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Of course it had glory. But it's like a lighting a, a candle and then all of a sudden turning on a blinding 500-watt bulb alongside of it. <laughs> The first one had some light to it, but brother, when you turn on that 500-watt bulb, you can blow the candle out and it doesn't lessen the light. (laughs) You just wonder how you could have seen with that little candle at all. Amen. 
man, we've got sure. something so gracious and glorious and powerful and marvelous and super abundant that the other pales into nothingness alongside of it. Read on. For if that which is done away was glorious... Now it says it's done away. The ministration of death, the ministration of condemnation, written and engraven in stones, Ten Commandment law. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I wish some dead men were here. It says it's done away. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You just have to believe what the Word says, don't you? Yeah. Done away. Read on. Much more that which remaineth is glorious. What we've got now is so glorious we don't even miss the other. Hallelujah. Read on. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Yes. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Of that which is what? Abolished. abolished. When, the, when a man makes his second and last will and testament, the first one is abolished. It's no good anymore. It's served its purpose and it's over with. That's right. So it's abolished. It's done away. It's abolished. Read on. But their minds were blinded. Yes. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. All right. That veil is done away when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Colossians 2, 14 to 17. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Amen. Now, somebody says that means the ordinances of uh, ham, eating a ham sandwich and so forth. That could be, that's part of the law. But uh, the teaching that there are two laws back there, one a law of ordinances and one the Ten Commandment law or moral law, and that there are two distinct laws does violence to the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. And we'll find that out when we get to the book of Romans again. There are not two laws. That's one law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The handwriting of God written and engraven in stones. And out of it came these other ordinances. Which, rem which were to remind Israel concerning the Ten Commandment law and to bring them under subjection to it so that they went through their rituals and their ordinances and ceremonies. And, of course, some of it had to do with their relationship one with another, which were civil in nature. And some of it had to do with uh, uh, other factors of social life and so forth. These are things that were all incorporated in the law. And I'm glad that, of course, that I can eat a ham sandwich. Praise yeah. the Lord. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, that we don't have to come in under those things. But when it comes down to it, we must understand that it also refers to the Ten Commandment law. Read on. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Yes, read on. And let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon 
or of the Sabbath days. Now just hold a minute here. Let's look at this a moment. Here we have some of the Old Testament law having to do with meat and drink and some of it having to do with feast days, certain days that were to be kept, and some of it having to do with new moons and the establishment of certain days and certain... between the two in this same verse when it says holy day. Yeah. The holy day deals with that. The Sabbath day deals with the seventh day Sabbath, which is found in the Ten Commandments. Now we're not to be judged anymore in that because we don't come un under that uh, judgment. That has been lifted. That has been uh, completely done away. As far as you and I are concerned, I want you to know this, that the Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath, is not for God's people today. Right. You go back under that, you go back under the condemnation yes, of the law. Sir. Yes, sir. That's right. And so thank God we're delivered from that. Praise the Lord. Read on. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, let me illustrate it this way. This verse tells us that the sh these are all shadows. The Ten Commandment law, the ordinances, the ceremonies, the rituals, the meats and drinks and holy days and observances and so forth were shadows. What is it that casts a shadow? In this case, it's Christ that casts the shadow. The body is Christ. And on which side of Christ is the shadow? It's on the side where there is no light. Come on the other side and you're not in the shadow anymore. The light is there. Isn't that right? Yeah. And the light shining down to the body casts a shadow on the other side. That's the Old Testament where the shadow is. We have come on this side of Christ. We're over here where the light is. Hallelujah. And the seventh-day Sabbath was a type pointing forward to that which we enjoy in the Holy Ghost today. All right. We have found our Sabbath Hallelujah. in God. We have found our rest. We have found the joy. Yes, we have God. found the place of complete surrender to Him where we walk every day, not just one day a week That's with God. Right. We walk every day with Him. Oh, hallelujah. See, the Sabbath was a type of the Holy Ghost. That's the Sabbath of rest. And the man ceased from his labors and... He no longer struggles and strives. He's found a place in God where he rests and, and is satisfied in the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what we have found in God. Praise the Lord. Let's raise our hands and praise him, shall we? Oh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Glory the Lord. To God. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank, thank you, Jesus. the Lord for the Spirit. Oh, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. We rejoice in you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
Now I want us to go over to Romans chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, and this is a very, very important two verses. Amen. Romans chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. But, but now we are delivered from the law. Oh, I like this. I hope you like it. Now we are delivered from the law. One rendering says, I believe it's a Reams rendering, puts it like this. Now we have received full release from the law. Now I know there are those who say, well, that means, Brother Gray, just the ordinances, not eating ham so forth and so on. Doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. Just hold steady now. Keep that thought. We're going we're gonna to see if it means that, what it means. We have received full release from the law. All right, read on. That being dead wherein we were held. Now that means this, by becoming dead to sin which had held us in captive. We had been held in captive by sin. And we have now become dead to sin by the body of Christ. So since that has happened, we're no longer under the law. We have been released and set free from the law. The law has no, has no power over you or I anymore. Hallelujah. Read on. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. All right, read on. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? The law sin? God forbid. God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. I had sin, not known sin. But by the law. But by the law. For Wait I have, a minute. What's he talking about? The ordinances? People that say that means only the ordinances now that, that we're delivered from and set free from and have full release from. Let's read the rest of this now. I had not known sin but by the law. Read on. For I had not known lust. I had not known lust. Except the law had said. Except the law had said. And what law said that? Thou shalt not What covet. law said thou shalt not covet? Ten commandments. Ten commandments. That's the one we're set free from. That's the one we're released from. That's the one that does not hold us in bondage anymore. Just as it's part of the ordinances. Paul said, I had not known sin. Except by the law. The law I'm set free from. The law is not sin. It set forth good principles, but I'm released from that because now I live in another oh, realm. Hallelujah. I live in the realm of the Spirit. Nobody has to point their finger at me and say, Thou shalt not kill, Brother Gray. You better not kill anybody. You better stop killing anybody. Oh, I don't know. I've got food of the Holy Ghost. What do I want to go out and kill somebody? I don't even hate anybody. Right. Don't kill them. Yes, sir. Nobody has to point yes, sir. Say, You're under the law. You can't kill. God, what? I'm not even hating. Hallelujah. <laughs> not when I'm under this new covenant. That's I'm the truth. Somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost walking with God and said, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. They don't even lust when they're mighty filled with the Holy Ghost, the power of God on them. Doesn't mean that, that they have a right to do that anymore. Doesn't mean that at all. It simply means we've come under a greater power. Yeah. A supernatural oh, power of hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. That lifts us into a new life oh, in Him. God, we thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's no longer somebody trying to conform us to some outward actions. It's the power of the Holy Ghost coming in and changing us from the inside That's out. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. And the Lord says, Thou shalt not 
commit adultery. But I say unto you, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give you a power to deal with the heart. Yeah. Who's going to go out and commit adultery if he doesn't even lust? Who's going to go out and kill somebody if he doesn't even hate them? If God changes you from the inside and you're a brand new creature and you're made new and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're walking with God and you're under the new covenant, the old one doesn't have any force or effect on you. Oh, Don't God. Praise the Lord. So the law isn't sin. The law told me what sin was, but I'm not brought under its power anymore. I'm not condemned anymore. I have a brand new life under this new covenant that lifted me up into a brand new way of living. Hallelujah. Thank God. I'm glad I'm what I am. Hallelujah. You know, when, I stop, when you stop and think about it, you can find anything you want to find under the name Christianity. But a lot of it is not even Christian. It's traditions and it's, it's uh, a lot of stuff brought over from, from other ideas, brought over from other denominations and so forth that have names and labels put on them that make you think they're Christian. The Trinity doctrine is one. That's not even a Christian doctrine. It's not a Bible doctrine. It came from heathenism. It was brought over from the outside. It has nothing to do with the Bible, the Word of God. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm delivered from it. I'm set free from it. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise hallelujah. the Lord. There's a freedom in God, friends, that we need to enjoy and realize that God has given to us when the power of the Holy Ghost operates in your life and in mine, the way God planned it to us. But since the new will and testament is for the redemption of transgressions, it had to be sealed by blood. Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Yes. And without shedding of blood is no remission. All right. There's a principle that was established from the very beginning, all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Therefore, Jesus gave his own blood, verse 12, same chapter, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And therefore, it was ratified, this new covenant, this new will and testament, the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, was ratified by his own blood, Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now, Goodspeed puts it this way, for this is my blood which ratifies the New Testament, or the New Will and Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So, it was ratified by his blood that was shed. Now, the old covenant also uh, had blood connected to it. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, we find that. Would you read that? Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. The first will that God made, it was not dedicated without blood. It was dedicated with blood. Read on. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, 
This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Yes, so this, it took the shedding of blood to put that will into effect. Now, of course, the blood of bulls and goats was not the blood of the testator. But it was the blood of the substitute for the testator. So the, the lambs and the calves and the goats that were slain on Judean altars pointed forward to Jesus that was to come. Oh, yeah. They were a type of him. But so God then planned that the shedding of the blood of those animals should inaugurate and cause the First Testament to go into effect. But thank God he did not have a substitute. It took his own blood to put this last will and testament into effect for you and I. And we find that in Hebrews 9, verses 16 and 17. And this lets us know that only after he died did Jesus' last will and testament go into effect. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. For where a testament is, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Read on. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Let me give this to you from the Amplified rendering. For where there is a last will and testament involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will and testament is valid and it takes effect only at death. So when Jesus said those words, those wonderful words in the seventh chapter of John, Oh, everyone that thirsts, any man thirsts, come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Yes, sir. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Testator hadn't died. That's why. He hadn't died. It was said, it was promised, but the death of the testator was a necessity before the will could come into effect before folks could receive it. So he must die. And then, praise God, when he died, instantly, let me, let me illustrate. Suppose I drew up a will making my son David the beneficiary. Now, my son is 21 years old. He is a, he is a respiratory therapist in Grossmont Hospital in San Diego. Fine young man. He's our choir director, and he loves the Lord, so forth. Fine son, obedient son, most respected. But I make him my beneficiary in the will. All right. Now, here he is, and I'm here, I'm still alive. He's at home. Suppose he says, uh-oh, I want to get in on some of that. And he takes my will and he takes it down to the bank and says, see, look at what my dad put in his will. Now, Mr. Fullerton, you know my dad, and you know that he has this, this money and so forth, so uh, I'd like some of it right now. Mr. Fullerton said, well, could you show me your father's uh, death certificate, please? Well, he's, he's up in Oregon, but he's not, he's not down here, but I'm, I'm down here, and I want some of that money. Well, wait a minute. Uh, no, uh, 
Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself, son. You're just going to have to back off here a little bit. There must of necessity be the death of the testator. Wait till your father's dead. That's why the man came to Jesus, you remember? And he said, Jesus said, follow me. And the man said, let me first bury my father. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. What is he saying? That man isn't, his father's not lying home dead. That father was still alive. And that man was saying to Jesus, let me stay and wait till my father dies and I get the inheritance. Then I'll come and follow you. Oh. Or says, no, 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 no. Okay. If you're going to follow me, you'll do it now. That's right. But he wanted to wait and get his inheritance before he followed the Lord. The man wasn't dead. The Lord wasn't making, a, a saying cool statement that the man's lying dead and wouldn't even let him go to his own father's funeral. That's not true. Not true at all. So when you understand this, you begin to realize that if I made my son my beneficiary of everything I possess, uh, he cannot cash it. He can't even get one dime out of it until I die. He couldn't possess one item, not one blade of grass in my lawn belongs to him. That's right. But upon my death, that paper that was absolutely valueless and of none effect in my lifetime suddenly becomes a tremendous force and value up to the extent of what I have, at least. Now he may take it down to Mr. Fullerton and say, here, I, I, my father's dead. Here's a death certificate and I'd like a little bit on this. See? Because this is what the will says. And it becomes a force immediately upon death and not before. So every provision becomes his according to the will after I die. Furthermore, after the death of the testator, the will cannot be changed. It cannot be annulled. It cannot be altered. It cannot be added to. It cannot be subtracted from. Nothing can change. It is set. <laughs> Absolutely fixed. Hallelujah. Just like it is. No changes. Hallelujah. I can change it tomorrow as long as I'm alive. But when I die, it is set the way it is, and nobody can change it. Nothing can change it. The force of government can't change it. The powers that be can't change it. My rich neighbors can't change it. There it is. And nothing can change it. That's the way it is with this will and time. Now let's look at some scripture that tells us this. Brother, it tells us straight. Galatians, this is a tremendous verse. Along with Romans 8, 3 and Hebrews 9, 16, 17. Go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let's read that wonderful verse. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. All right. Now, this is, means I'll use an illustration common to all men. I want you to see what I'm talking about. I'm going to use an illustration that you understand, he says, that's common to all men. Read on. Though it be but a man's covenant, yes. yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. All right. Now, let me give you what the background of this really is and what it really means. 
and this is according to the New English Bible, it puts it this way. Even in ordinary life, when a man's will and testament has been duly executed, no one else can set it aside or change or add a codicil to it. Nobody, nobody can do that. No way can you change it. I never will forget a young man came to me and, and uh, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. And uh, there was a young lady that didn't, and they just not too long before that come into our church and find young people. That is capable, had many admirable qualities about them. He was a, uh, a member of the uh, uh, fire department at the city of San Diego. Young lady was quite qualified, had a wonderful job in an office, and uh, they got interested in each other and they came to me to marry them. He had the Holy Ghost, or she had the Holy Ghost, he didn't, and uh, she was a divorced girl, and under the circumstances, uh, did not have a right to remarriage. And they came to me. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, there's no way that I can perform the wedding ceremony for you. Oh, they bristled up. And the girl said, Brother Gray says, we're Christians, and uh, we love the Lord. And we love each other. And uh, who, who, who are you to, to say we can't get married? Oh, I said, wait a minute. You can get married according to man's law. I can give you the address of a preacher that will marry you in a minute just so you cross his palm with $10. He'll marry you. I'll, I'll give you the address if you want to go, but here's one preacher that can't. Well, why can't you marry us? Because I can't change this. That's, That's why. That's right. If I told you you could get married and have God's blessing on it, I'd be a liar. I haven't changed this. I can't tell you you can get married when God hasn't. I have no right to change this. What right have I for you to come to me and say, change this for me, Brother Gray? This thing's set. It's already fixed. How can I change it? I'd be a liar if I told you you had a right to be married. I'm not going to be pushed into a corner. This word stands. How can, I, how can I tell you you have a right to be married if the Bible doesn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, human sympathy would come in and say, well, I think maybe, you know, you can go get married, you know, really, and then come back to the church again or something like that. Oh, brother, what are you going to do? Are you going to play fast and loose with the word? This is what God said. And the only way you can be right with God as a minister or a saint is to say this takes precedence over everything else. Amen. There's no way I can change it. It's the will that has been settled by his death and not one word can be added to it or one word taken away from it. It'll stand. Now you can, you can say, well, I don't like it. I don't like that. Well, you may not like the law of gravity either. You say, I don't like that law. I'm going to break it. Well, how are you going to break it? Well, I'll go up on top of that space needle up in Seattle, and I'll jump off, and I'll break that law. Well, long after your grease spot on the sidewalk, the law's as good as new. You haven't broken that law. No. It's broken you. That's right. It's that, brother. Right. It's fixed. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. It's, it's there. Here it is. Glory. Hallelujah. God said what he meant, meant what he said. Here it is. Glory. And it is the best news you've ever heard. Hallelujah.
The only trouble is when carnal people try to get in under the provisions of it without allowing God to change them. That's when it becomes hard. When you try to ride the fence, that's when it becomes hard. But you come in all, you know, serve the Lord easy and it's hard, serve the Lord hard and it's easy. Hallelujah. Just dive in all the way. Not just part way, but dive in. Hallelujah. Get every bit of it. Praise the Lord. Let it, let it be your very life. You're going to find out that it's the most wonderful, blessed experience and life that you've ever lived or you ever could possibly live. Praise the Lord. You won't rebel against the Word of God. You'll love it every bit. I never will forget a man coming into our church. He was a Jehovah Witness. He married a uh, 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 Jesus named Pentecostal. I don't condone that. I think it's wrong to do that. But she was backslidden. She married him and then brought him to church. And she prayed through again. Some were from Texas and came up to uh, San Diego. And she came in, prayed through, and there he was, Jehovah Witness, sitting in church. And uh, he wouldn't hardly talk to me. I found out later that he told his wife, said, that fellow Gray is wrong, wrong, wrong. And I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to prove him wrong, and I'm going to show him up, and I'm going to ex- show him how it's wrong. He said, I believe he's sincere. I believe he believes the Bible, but he's wrong. And so I'm going to find out just how he's wrong, and I'm going to prove that he's wrong. So his wife said, well, go to So he sat in church, and he kept coming, would hardly speak to me, and I just kept preaching. And one day, surprise of surprises, he broke from that back row and he came to the altar. (laughs) That's right. And he told me later, he said, Brother Gray, he said, he said, I, the more I came, I felt you were sincere and honest but that you were wrong, and I was going to prove you right. But when you preached the word and you showed me that it was according to the word, he said, I had to acknowledge that it was uh, true. It was God's word. It was true. And later, he didn't get the Holy Ghost. He sought for a while. I'm sorry to say he didn't. But he wrote me a letter. He'd gone back to Texas, and he wrote me a letter. And I have it to this day. And he said in the letter, he said, Brother Gray, I don't have the Holy Ghost yet. I'm going to get it. But he said, I love it. I love the truth that you'll not make the rapture unless you get the Holy Ghost. He said, that's true. He said, I know it's true. And I thank you for telling me. He said, I don't have the Holy Ghost. And I know I'd be left behind if I didn't uh, get the Holy Ghost. But he said, I love that truth. I love the Word. I love it when it cuts me. I love it when it hits me. I love it when it does its work in my life. I, I, I thank you for preaching it. I thank you for the truth. It's changed me. It's changed my whole life. He said, I want to serve the Lord all of my days. Compare that with some folks that get sulking and growling and complaining when the preacher preaches the straight word of God. He has no choice. It's already settled. Friends, there's no argument about it. That is right. It's here. He oh, made it. Amen, he, amen, it's amen. his word, not mine. It's God's word. Hallelujah. And he said it when he died and not one word can be changed i like that old song said just leave it alone it's god's holy word hallelujah don't change it just leave it alone leave it exactly like it is praise the lord let's read uh, revelation 22 18 and 19 
For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Yes. If any man shall add unto these things, if any God, man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, and if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. See, you can't add to the will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't take away. There's no way it can be changed. Not one jot or tittle can be changed. His death set it the way it is. When he said it, it's going to stand forever just like it is. Hallelujah. Science comes along and says, we're going to prove to you that these things are not true in this, in this book. Well, they can go all they want, bring all the proof they want. It doesn't change this. And this is way ahead of them. This will come out ahead. Hallelujah. They'll never disprove one word of this. Galatians, the first chapter, verses 8 to 12. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul said, if an angel were to come, saying that it's not the way, uh, you know, that you, you preach it, it's been delivered to you. Uh, it's different. Curse it. If an angel were to come straight from heaven, say, I've got a new revelation, and it's changed somewhat. You just curse him and not even allow him to, to, to speak. Let him be accursed. He said, if I should come back, to you any time. And brother, he bur burned every bridge. He said, if ever I get off the track out yonder somewhere and come back preaching anything else, he said, curse me. Yes. This is so sure and so certain and so set. Every word, every detail of it is right yes. that anybody that comes preaching anything else oh, than this, the God. way it is already declared, is wrong. Absolutely. There is no new message. There's no new doctrine. There's no nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take away from it. It's perfect the way it is. Yes, sir. It'll never be changed. This is the last will and testament. There'll never be another one. Amen. Hallelujah.